Welcome to Bar Talk. I'm your host, Robert Hill, Artistic Director of the Orlando Ballet, and my very special guest is director, producer, and technology and entrepreneur and co-founder of Apples and Oranges, Mr. Tim Kashani. Welcome, Tim. Thank you, Robert. Good to see you. Good to see you, and uh, I, I love your story, and I love uh, how you tell it, and we're going to get right to it. So. Let's talk about what you're doing right now to um, manage this pandemic and the, the, the life that we're living. Doing a lot of what we're doing right here, figuring out ways to tell stories using technology as well as the foundation of what we know about storytelling. Uh, we're on Zoom right now and that's become part of all of everybody's reality. Uh, luckily, we have been using Zoom since it was in beta, so we've been making it do backflips to achieve what we want artistically. Right. And working very closely with artists at this time through our nonprofit, Apples and Oranges Arts, and the original mission was to be digital and virtual back in 2016 and 17. In some ways we were prepared for this. It didn't change how we were developing these artists and their shows. The part that has changed though is the end distribution point, which in the theatrical world that we all love in the dance world, it was a live paying audience for many of them. It's now looking at it through a different lens of what does that mean for us in not only this year, but in the future when we can come back live, what are the opportunities that we can take from this time and use to amplify more voices? Because with a digital boundary, you don't have a physical constraint. And we've, we've doubled down, we've done all kinds of performances and our theater accelerator and dance accelerator. Right. And we've right. done crazy celebrity events to a live production in the UK streamed. You yeah, name it, we were trying that it. One that I saw that um, a separate piece. That is correct. Yes, the Tom Stopper so, play. Oh my God, so good. So, so good. I don't know how we can tell people to to be able to go and see that. How, how, how... Uh, they unfortunately can't because we did it as a as a one night only. Okay. That way the people that attended it felt like they were going to a theatrical event. Okay. And, but we will be doing more. And the whole thing we did in a week uh, with really the, the play, the actors, but important in that one is we also brought in an entire creative team. That way it, you had a sound designer, projection designer, even lighting designer, so that you could create the aesthetic that we're used to in, in theater. So this, this group of people were not all in the same place in the world at the same time. No, in fact, nobody was, which a lot of them were UK based. Mm -hmm. And the even things like costumes, you did either what people had or what Amazon could ship or somebody would deliver a hat or in some case, a, a laptop needed to be delivered so that it had the right graphics card so that it could do a virtual background in the way that we had created these virtual backgrounds. But everything was done incredibly safe, distanced, sure. and it's something that, that we're very concerned about is making sure that people say, stay safe during this time. Right, exactly. So um, there's so much um, that you do with apples and oranges. 
Um, talk a little bit about how you started Theater Accelerator, and then let's talk about how it came about <clears throat> that we applied that to dance and have it our, going on our second uh, dance accelerator. Yes, exciting. Really exciting. So, so talk about how that originated, and you, you and your wife uh, started that together, right? Pamela. Yeah, my wife, Pamela, and I, we, this dates back to 2008 when we decided to start working closely together. We had these separate paths where I was doing tech and arts and she was a Broadway performer. And we had just done our first uh, short film and we loved the blending of the mediums between film stage. And we had just produced hair on Broadway. Oh, wow. And we, loved all of the aspects, but one of the challenges that we saw was for new voices, new artists. Theater at the time was very much, well, theater actually even up until the pandemic had run similar to what it has run for the last 50 to 100 years. And it runs very well, but for unfortunately a small group of people because again of a physical resource constraint, the actual Broadway theaters, there's 41 of them. And half of them are taken up with shows like the long running Hamiltons and Wicked's and these shows right. that are going nowhere. And since I do have a technology background and have built systems globally, uh, been part of the startup world and had designed solutions that were meant to amplify we said, well, why don't we use this startup mentality, which is to support people in the early stages, but find larger distribution points. And that's, we had already tested some of that with hair and then our show Memphis next about how you use digital assets to engage people. We said, we know we can engage them to get them to a live event. Can we engage them in virtual too? so that we can create a monetization strategy for these new artists. And we did a first started with Bridge to Broadway, a physical program where we just wanted to see, can we actually design at scale? Because there's still the creative aspect in everything we do. Like if right. somebody came to you and said, Robert, I'd love you to do 50 ballets for me. You'd say, okay, can you clone me? <laughs> <laughs> And but that would be very scary. <laughs> yes. But you could also say, well, there's 50 people I know that I've worked with that right. are not me, but have an aesthetic like me mm -hmm. who are waiting for their chance. Maybe I can nurture them. Mm -hmm. And now I'm not the one that has to do all those 50 pieces. Right. But what if it wasn't only me and I got some more mentors? And that's where we took all this is how do we create this environment where those of us that want to give back and see not only the art survive, but grow. Mm -hmm. Put together these people that can help nurture this next generation and then support them both financially as well as technologically so that they can reach these audiences. And over the years, we were testing and trying and doing everything. And then in 2016, we talked about launching a 16-week program as a for-profit where it would be similar to 500 startups or Y Combinator in Silicon Valley where thousands of people apply, they get picked, they're given some cash so that they can focus for 12 to 14 weeks on their project. Mm 
-hmm. and they're surrounded by mentors. And the goal in those is to codify their idea, their intellectual property, and turn it into something that you can growth hack and measure and see how it, how it goes from there and then raise more money if it has promise. Mm -hmm. And we talked to a number of people, we built the structure for it. And in doing so, we found two things. One, that theatrical pieces have a lot of similarity to startups, but there were enough differences that trying to have a universal curriculum was not going to work for the 16 weeks. And so we started to look at how we, how we curate that. But more importantly, as we were talking to our friends in Broadway, two things happened. One is they said, well, it, it, we like our current system and it works. And it was working for what I will lovingly call the gatekeepers, people that were doing it that were in the positions of power. Right. And then the other thing in talking to artists and agents, this whole concept of an accelerator was very foreign to them. Now for me, it wasn't because I'd lived it and I, I saw what they couldn't see. And it's basically cause they had never done it. Right. And we looked around and anytime you launch something new, you've got to have ex enough excitement that you're attracting enough people and that are far enough along in the process. And so we said, you know what? We know it works. Let's just put it under the nonprofit. Instead of doing 16 weeks, let's do it as a two week intensive mm -hmm. where they work every day. And the goal is to turn them into entrepreneurs. Right. Taking right. control. Right. That also is where you started using the, the terms, taking the starving out of artists, right? That is true. Yeah. So that, Love that they're not waiting for a patron or somebody to do it for them, that they are looking at creating their community. Mm -hmm. It's a big part of what we say is each artist has a certain aesthetic. And yes, there are those shows that go really broad, like a Phantom of the Opera or a Nutcracker Ballet that are, there's, a handful of those. Sure. And yes, it would be great to have that show, but that doesn't sustain a career. A career is built on continuously working. Mm -hmm. And that's our mantra for taking the starving out of artists. We're not saying you're going to be a bazillionaire, right. but it, you should be able to pay your rent, yeah. eat, yeah. have some leisure time, have a, have a life mm -hmm. like somebody that would go into what is considered the traditional world of accounting medical whatever it is you we want to create that for nine art five five days a week having a weekend off etc yeah 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 and thus we said let's let's do this then as the two week we did a test with it put together some amazing mentors and the test with one show went so well that we immediately greenlit and then we started with five shows and we've now run 10 classes and now we take the last class had 13 where we broke up our final day, but the, the first week is very, I'll call it technical in the sense that they are analyzing as if they are an entrepreneur slash the producer. Mm -hmm. They're looking at doing things along. How do you sell tickets? What is your branding? Who are your concentric circles of buyers? And when we were talking about that as well in the design to some of the folks in the industry, a lot of people said, oh, artists don't care about that. They just want to create the art. And 
Uh, I, yeah, I disagree. Not, not always, always, that's not always the case. <laughs> and I said, it doesn't mean that they now have to change and be a digital marketer, but if they at least understand how those pieces work, it helps inform them right. when they are looking creatively. And then in the second week of the program, it gets back more into the creative side now that they've discovered where their people are, their market is, and it usually uncovers some problems in their story because they might say in the beginning, well, I feel like ours is a family story. And then as they dig down, they realize that some of their personas that they say are key ticket buyers are not really being represented properly in the show or maybe even represented enough in the show. And we then highlight that. And then they tell, oh, well, we need to do this and we need to do that. And the whole thing ends with a lovingly conclusion called Sing Tank, where, as right. you know very well from Dance Tank, yeah. judges are given a virtual dollar. So it's yeah. all done in fun. And they walk away with a five minute condensed pitch and ask, again, as if they were a startup saying, this is who we are, this is what we're doing, this is what we need. And that's how they start to build their community. Amazing. And then we morphed it. You And to get to your question here, the it was fun to transpose it into Dance Tank because the original design when we built this is we simply just called it Story Accelerator. And okay. when we launched it, we made it theater because we were doing theater. But we wanted that we've always designed it for these principles to be universal for any type of artistic endeavor, whether it be dance, painting, symphony, film, you name it, where the fundamentals are universal and then each art form has some uniqueness to it. So what we did with our dance accelerator is they created during those two weeks. They were pushed incredibly hard to go, all of them go out of their comfort zones right. and actually create something that we would emotionally engage with in a virtual world in less than two minutes. Yeah, what was it? Um, 60 seconds to 90 seconds of choreography and then the pitch and um, uh, the mentors along the way and mentoring on everything from actual choreography to the business side, having someone like Jonathan Ledden, and then all of your experience and um, quite, quite a fascinating, fascinating experience. And I know people, uh, I have a good friend in New York City who, who is actually going to be a, a, a judge on the next one. Thrilled, really thrilled by it. So, and I love it. I, I think it's, it's really, was exciting to see everybody being so creative in spite of what we're living in right now, you know? And it was that, that every, the dancers were all in their own places. Um, and yet um, each choreographer was working with what, four, four or five different dancers in all different locations. And we had considerations about clouds coming and rain sometimes when they were outside, remember? And, and it was just, the whole experience was just absolutely fascinating. And so, as you say, it forced people to go out of their comfort zone and, and be creative. So it accomplished so, so much of that. And I, I so look forward to the next one. So what's, what is your 
takeaway, what do you hope that we can do maybe better or, or just, you know, add something else to it? Because we haven't actually spoken too much recently. We had our post-mortem, but uh, I'm, I'm ready to have a follow-up conversation about going forward. So, um, but talk, talk more about where you would like to see this go. First of all, it was an amazing experience. And the, as we all went into this for this first one, we did not know how it was gonna end. No, no. And I remember that you, both you and Jonathan said from the very, very beginning, we, we just, just go. Don't, we know nothing. We're just gonna make this work as we go. And that, when I finally accepted that, I kind of started to relax a little bit because I was really going, what am I supposed to do? Oh my God, how are we gonna do this? And how, how do you quantify and how do you organize? And, how, and it was, a, it, as you say, it was a little, little bit stressful for all of us in the beginning, but now that we've done it, it's got a shape, it's got a structure, it's got a point of view. Um, and I, 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 I'm just thrilled with it. So. Um, how, how do we ameliorate that process? <laughs> and, and why I stepped back on that is because, as we said with somebody else, we're, we're kind of in dog years right now, how fast everything is moving and changing. Yeah. And for those of us that are been doing this for a while, there's a, a stability in structure that even though we know that creating something new or mounting a production is a crazy amount of work. We kind of knew the steps. And the first one we did was just literally to see. We did have a structure. We had everything we'd done with the Air Accelerator. We morphed it for it. Mm -hmm. And I was, I could not have been happier actually, because our overall goal is that the artists have started here and end up wherever they end up, but we want them to move forward. And seeing where they went with it <clears throat> was why, why we all do this. Right. And then as we look at going forward, you take what you know works. And what we know works is that first week where we, we do bring them into the world that we all have to deal with, thinking about the audience and what are these emotional connections that can happen virtually. And that, that has been a universal principle in everything that we've done is to get them to look at it as a whole picture. As we move it forward, one of the changes that the whole world is going through is we have been on these virtual meetings for a while and you'll hear people say things like, oh, Zoom fatigue. And there's only so much you can do on this virtual platform or that virtual platform. These virtual platforms are exploding now as far as new features. We work directly with Zoom. I've been using Zoom since day one. When it was launched, a friend was <clears throat> involved in the company. And when was and, that? When was it launched? Oh my gosh, I should, <laughs> Meredith, I should know this, but I've, <laughs> <laughs> I've been using, uh, well, I'll, I'll look that up in a minute and we'll okay. talk about it. Okay. But I can, I can tell you, I've been, you, we brought Zoom into our show in America and in Paris back in 2015. Okay. And we started because we were doing things in Paris and then in New York and I was in California. I got Eric, the founder, to donate, um, or I, I should say I got Eric, the founder, to 
give any Broadway producer a free version of Zoom to try because it made it a lot easier for me. I was able to communicate with people. And the initial design of Zoom, as well as many of these products, were for corporate events or meetings. It wasn't to do a live theatrical event. So they've been super excited to see how people are using their platform in all different ways for birthday parties, dance events, I mean, even funerals. It's kind of crazy to see how the world has has morphed into this. Well, because of that, a lot of different people have now realized that virtual is is always going to be part of our lives. And even mm-hmm. if we come back after the pandemic, many people have said this is a great extension at a minimum. And so what I'm excited about for the next class is by the time we run it, there will be a lot of new technological features that will allow the artists to get over some of those simple hurdles that we were struggling with at the time with latency or syncing of cameras and music. And it's almost like the early days of film when you look at the Maisel Brothers or these big monster cameras that could just sit there yeah. and capture. Yeah. Uh, Technology's moving very, very fast. Yeah. And the other aspect too is I've been working heavily in mixed realities and there's been some pretty substantial breakthroughs in creating augmented and virtual reality experiences. And probably not for this next up upcoming class, but even maybe the forthcoming class, as you look at what people like Apple and Microsoft are doing at scale now, it's not going to be long before your glasses will be able to visualize virtual reality or augment, I should say augmented reality through those kind of glasses and even on our phones. So when we look at the next class, now that we have a foundation for it, I always like to push them a little bit to be thinking about not what they can do now, but what they can do six months or even a year from now and blend a little bit of that in. So we'll always be pushing the boundaries in this accelerator. Right. You you said that you really enjoy speaking about the convergence of technology and the arts. And it's exactly what you're doing. It's fantastic, you know? And I think it'll, it allows for people to be more creative. One of the, one of the things that I th- think I can speak for the dancers that were involved in the, the first dance accelerator was understanding the technology, right? So, so that was a big hurdle for them to get over. But I, you know, how quickly you get it. If you, if you get the right information from someone like you, wow, it's, you can really get it and understand it very, very quickly, so. They, and we've, this is a common thread that we've seen. As long as people are open, mm-hmm. willing to learn, mm-hmm. within usually a day or two, they, they start to get it. And one of the things we talked about as well as some of the mentors brought up is don't try to think you're putting technology and mimicking everything that you know in live. Blend in what the film world knows because right. ultimately it's a tiny little camera we're looking at right here, but it still is a camera. Right. And having that approach to it freed up 
some of the choreographers right away and they started to get creative with it. So you went from Monday where it was, I don't think I'm going to be able to do this to Wednesday. It's like, okay, I put a second camera over here and I put the blinds down so that I had similar lighting and we had somebody playing the sound over here and you just saw the wheels all spinning and they were solving problems. And that was, that's, I love seeing that um, in, in all of them, the concentration and the, the desire to understand and to want to be creative. It was so satisfying for me because it's the same feeling that you get when you're in, in the studio doing that kind of work, you know? So um, I, 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 I really, really thrilled about this whole thing. And I have to thank you and Jonathan again for making, having that, those first conversations and, and then making it a reality. After a successful launch of our inaugural program in June, we are so excited to hold our second Dance Accelerator competition this fall. As you know, this program was developed by my guest Tim Kashani and his wife Pamela. Dance Accelerator leverages the power of technology to create a global platform for choreographers to present their creative ideas before industry professionals for critique and potential investment. If you are interested in participating in Dance Accelerator 2, applications are available at orlandoballet.org. The application deadline is October 2nd, 2020. You have a history in dance. How, how talk about that a little bit? You've 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 worn so many hats and you still wear so many hats. But but just talk how you how did that happen? <laughs> Pretty much like everything in my life, it was not planned. <laughs> when I was in my youth, I loved film, and I had an eight millimeter film camera, and I was in a rock band. As you can see, I still play guitar okay. in L.A. and then. Uh, wanted to go to SC film school, but dad said, get a real degree. And so I went to UC Irvine and got a computer science degree. Okay. And while I was there, I was rowing crew because I do wear a lot of hats. And a friend who was, she was actually an econ major, but she had been dancing and was in the dance department. We were arguing which was harder, dance or crew. And I love this. (laughs) (laughs) And me being your typical 20 year old guy, of course, was absolutely rolling my eyes at dance saying, come on, seriously, like this isn't even a conversation. And she bet me that I could not take a dance class. And I, and I, I do like challenges. And I thought, this this is going to be easy. So it's ballet one. And I show up right after crew practice in shorts and a tank top from rowing on two hours and you go in and I I show up and it turns out it's not even ballet one a because I just picked a ballet one. It was ballet one B or C, whatever it was. And the teacher, everybody else is all dressed in their ballet clothing and doing things. And, here I show up and I talked to friends from the crew team and doing it with me because I didn't want to do this by myself. And I said, 
look, we'll get more limber. Lynn Swan did it from the Pittsburgh Steelers. Like, I always pointed to Lynn Swan because I remembered that he took ballet and he was an amazing. And that made it okay. It made it okay. <laughs> and we, <laughs> we get in there and they quickly just bailed on the whole thing. They said, well, I'm not going to, this, this, this is because we couldn't do the 1A because it was at the same time as our crew practice. And so I thought, okay, well, good. You know, I, I can get out of this because I don't actually have to do it. And there's, there's an excuse. But then uh, Larry Rosenberg, one of the, he was a ballet instructor that actually went back to the second day. And I said, look, to drop. And I said, I, and it's 1B. He's like, look, don't worry about it. It's just stay. We'll catch you up and, and you can enjoy. Basically, because any dance company needs men. Uh, that's just the... They needed a body for yes. some of the upcoming performances to stand on stage. Exactly. And so I said, okay, I'll give it another shot. And then once I actually did it, it was one of the hardest things I'd ever done in my life because I had done sports my entire life. So limber was not even in my vocabulary. <laughs> and even something like turnout didn't exist. And you're <laughs> looking at this, but it was also, what was kind of fantastic about it is sports did come natural to me growing up. I raced motorcycles, played baseball, played football, you name it. Anything that was very active, I could do. And even playing guitar was something that I wouldn't say came natural, but I just loved it. And so I was quickly proficient at it and I took lessons and did it. But this, no way. I mean, there was such a, I had 80s danced and done that, but when you get into ballet, it was a real deal. Yeah. But I didn't want to lose the bet. <laughs> and so I stuck with it. I stuck wow. with it for the one quarter, which is what the bet was. And a couple of great things happened. One is eventually it started to become a little bit fun because the first few weeks were just not fun. And <laughs> I was much bigger at the time because I was rowing and I, I'm, everything stood out like a sore thumb. Now I refused to wear tights or do anything like that. I said, that's right. not happening. Right. <laughs> but I did buy shoes and it started to help my rowing. I was for the first time really stretching muscles and doing things in a way that I had never done. So I had that benefit. Wow. And because rowing is so much using your legs, I could jump incredibly high in the air. So that was the one thing I had over everybody else. It didn't look good at all. I mean, but man, the height, that there was there. So that was like the one thing I could hang on to. And so then you, all of a sudden, Larry throws me in a show and right. then I'm doing stage. And uh, then I saw a musical and I saw it kind of all my worlds come together, which is the playing guitar, singing, the theatricality of sets and everything, and then the dance part of it. So then I added in tap and jazz, and ballet was always the foundation. And I did Nutcracker for 10 years and had fun doing that. I never had any grand careers of trying to get into ABT, but I knew that ballet was truly the core fundamentals. And once you start to be able to do two, three, four or five pirouettes, it starts to get fun. And I kept the ability to leap and do that. And so you were adding form and technique to it. Right. 
Yeah, so that's that's how it how it all began. Wow, amazing! And was there was there a point when you decided because you 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 this was your bread and butter for a while, was it not? I mean, you were you were paying your bills by being a performer. Uh, well, I, I did. <laughs> to be fair, I was mainly paying the beer, mainly paying the bills by being a technologist. Okay. Uh, because simultaneously, and this is the idea of converging the two worlds. So back right. then, mm-hmm. you as an artist, you didn't talk about tech. And right. as a technology person, you didn't say you were dancing in the Nutcracker because they truly were two separate worlds and both would kind of look at you a little suspect. Right. As I finished undergrad at UCI and I'd started to already perform, I uh, had to make a decision. And with a computer science degree, you could get a pretty good job back in the late 80s when you graduated, Uh making more money than I'd ever seen in my life. But I also knew then that's all I was going to be able to do. So I stayed two more years to get my master's and got the master's with the business administration school. And so I'm going to start a company and see what happens. And if the company fails, I'll get a real job. But it was also to buy myself time because now I was really enjoying performing and I moved into also producing and directing. And I, for the next 10 years, were building these tech systems and that allowed me to live and also invest in artistic work. And that's how I really got into directing and producing through all the work we did in tech. And then we landed in 95, a contract with Morgan Stanley and a Microsoft contract that we'd started in 91 exploded too. So I went all in on tech up until 9-11, which was sort of my epiphany point to the arts are a key part of my life. And that's when we started to look at how do we merge the two together? Because back in the day, I mean, I actually drove two separate cars. I had a beat up old Datsun 310GX that I would take to Debbie Reynolds dance studio for auditions. And then I had a nice German made car that was going to our clients like City of Hope and Southern California Edison and Microsoft. And it was you where you dress up in one area and the other one you were trying to audition for Michael Jackson video. I mean, it truly was two separate lives and there was no Facebook. So nobody could really tell. Nobody could out you. No, (laughs) but soon friends would learn. Right. And, but the, but the big change came a lot through film first with the digital cameras. Mm -hmm. And what that changed is the realization that technology can help and also greatly bring down the cost. So actually in re-saying that, the big change came with music, first with digital music and then into film. And you, because when I was in a rock band, it was really expensive to make a, a record. Right. And you had to hopefully have a producer that believed in you and they would then you create a demo and then they would shop it around and maybe you could get it played. Now we were scrappy. Even then I was an entrepreneur and in our rock band, I bought a reel to reel tape and a mixer and we made some demos and we got played at 3 a.m. on probably a channel that nobody ever heard of. 
<laughs> type of thing. And we were playing all over and we were doing a lot of covers so that we could play proms and dances. And we had some originals that we were doing. But there were a, a whole set of gatekeepers. And that was the same in film because it was just crazy expensive with film. You needed these big cameras and editing systems. Right. And now as a musician or a filmmaker, a phone, a microphone, a computer, that's all you really need. Right. And so then it was the distribution. Mm -hmm. And with YouTube and all of these other <laughs> advents of the Netflix of the world and iTunes and Spotify, you can be seen or heard right now. Yeah. And so the now technology and the arts are so incredibly intertwined and it converged for me in a way that I was ready for as it was starting to happen. And we took that knowledge and that's what we wanted to start sharing going all the way back into 2008, because we said, this is the way, this is how we, how we break through. And so the last three months have been insane because now everybody that hasn't done this wants to do it. So right. they've been asking us for help and we've been doing it. And then also with everything that's gone on about looking at greater levels of inclusion and how do we bring new voices to the table, mm -hmm. we can do that digitally. Right. And even if we wanted to say, have everybody heard today live, the live theaters are closed. So the best way to get these stories out, these new exciting stories from all different backgrounds is by using technology. Right. So um, a little while ago, um, you said you had an epiphany. I think it was at the, the time of 9-11 and, and where you discovered that something about the arts was became important to you. Yeah, they'd always been right. a real key part, but in the 90s, I'm, doing work for people like having clients like Morgan Stanley, which then led into Payne Weber and the UBS and the Bank of New York. And we were helping Microsoft launch products, databases, operating systems, programming languages mm -hmm. was exhilarating. It, you, I worked through the dot-com days. I was doing all of that. And mm -hmm. it was also financially very lucrative. That's right. And it, 16 hour days, but I didn't mind. I was really doing it. And then I was down at the, right across the way in Brooklyn, just on the other side of the trade centers, the one subway stop. And I'm never down in that area. But that day I actually stopped at the subway stop right when the, right underneath the trade center when the first plane hit in hindsight. And so popped out and I saw the building on fire, but people that don't know the trade center, they're massive. So even when you looked up, it didn't look that big. And so what people were saying at first was it was a whole air conditioning unit that blew out. And it actually sounded reasonable because again, the distance was so high and you didn't really notice what was going on. And then, uh, so I went to the office building and went up and we were all looking and then second plane and we all know the rest of the story there. But right just watching the buildings come down, you, you realize mortality and you say, well, you get one, one, however amount of time you have to do what you're doing. Mm -hmm. uh, and I love tech and I, I 
enjoy what I'm doing, but I really missed performing, directing, and all of those pieces. And so I said, I want to get back to that. And that's when I went back to film school, the wow. film school that I originally wanted to go to. And first year was great. I was just a student. And it's great to go back to school, by the way, for anybody, because I was in a very happy marriage. We had our son was two years old. So I had no growing up to do like you do the first time you go to school, right. like figuring out right. who you are. Right. You're 100% there to learn. Right. And I'm similar age to most of the professors. Uh, some of them were senior to me. But they also respected what I'd done in the other world. So we had these great conversations mm -hmm. and it's, it's a kid in the candy store, but then I got to know the Dean and they were about to embark on building a new film school. Wow. <clears throat> and the um, development director, which development directors are usually very good at noticing somebody who might have capacity to get involved, set up a lunch and this lunch, which was a 30, 40 minutes supposed to meet, turned into four hours of us looking at all the blueprints of the designs of the technology that had been proposed to be put in this new building that groundbreaking was about to happen on. And it was all wrong. I mean, when I looked at it, I had built systems, I mean, that's what I did. Right. And their goal was to be the number one film school where everything, even stuff shot on film was digitized so that in any classroom you could pull up a cut and you could sound design, you could edit, you could discuss. The whole process needed to feel brand new. And the overall design at that time, this was back in 20 or 2003-04, was using standard definition plumbing and doing the whole thing with standard definition. And I said, well, you need to be at least HD, if not more, in your bandwidth to sending all this stuff around and also how you store it. And they'd hired a system integrator that was charging them to do all this and a person who had done a lot of work in Hollywood, but was at the tail end of his career. And he said, no, HD is 10 years away. And this is before digital cameras. He said, digital cameras are, oh, you're talking 10, 20 years before they're at the same resolution as film. And I said, Bob HD is like two years, three years away. And he said, but already it, it's just not happening yet. We're not there. I said, remember how we used to all have those big TVs and then one Christmas later, you could not get them because everything was a flat screen. Right. That's what's about to happen because we're on an exponential growth curve when it comes to the distribution of data. And that's all really digital is. And so he kind of shook his head and he said, this is, we cost this out. It's going to be four times as expensive. I said, well, no, because the person you hired didn't bid any of these things. You're just, I, they're paying retail. And I said, also, there's a lot of other cost savings that you can do when you move to that. So I was able to rework the whole budget and get it to, it was more expensive. It was almost twice as expensive than what they were doing. And so then I said, we'll cover the difference. So we underwrote all the work to do what it needed to do. And I brought my whole company in and we built a film school wow. and we donated it. And the team, I mean, everybody loved it. It's like, who wouldn't love to build a film school from scratch where you right? see concrete poured. Wow. 
and you're working directly with Apple, Avid, Adobe, you name it, who wow. is excited about this. And you've got Hollywood people that are excited about it. It was just utter joy. And I told Bob, I said, when you open the school, it's going to be at least a year to 18 months before everything's working properly. Right. He's like, oh, come on, you go make it. I said, no, I mean, we're, we're literally figuring out how to do some of these things directly with the engineers at the vendors. But that's what I did for 10 years before that is working directly with engineers to solve right. business problems. Right. That's, that's fantastic. Um, so, so you had this epiphany and you decided, you know, you never know. So do what you like, do what, do what really, you know, popped your cork. Right. I mean, yeah. So, so that said, I, and I kind of gave you a heads up about this, um, the, the notion of, so we're in a pandemic and then you come up with these descriptions and um, the arts being considered non-essential. Which I, 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 I understand what it's referring to, but I also understand that you can't negate the, the need for the art. So anyway, I just wanted to hear what you have to say about that, especially given that you had this epiphany in such a, a poignant way. First of all, labels can be dangerous, as we all know. Mm -hmm. And just even the term arts, people compartmentalize mm -hmm. without even fully realizing that arts really tie into creativity. Absolutely. And it, look, it gets into the basis of problem solving. Mm -hmm. And when you look at what we do as artists and what the going back to Dance Accelerator, where on day one, you had people with a little deer in headlights of, yeah. oh my gosh, how can I do this, to solving problems two days later. That's, in a nutshell, what you do as an artist, is you yeah. solve problems. Yeah. Yes, you're creating, but creativity is working within bounds and doing, doing things. And the only way we're going to and I, even the term come out of the pandemic, because we don't even know this, everything, data, everything is happening so fast. We hope that we have a vaccine. Um, if you look back by the end of the year, but that's assuming everything lines up perfectly. And if we do get the vaccine, we do this and we do that. Uh, there's so many other variables at play that are happening right here. Mm -hmm. And when you look at what we are as human beings and even talking specifically of what we know from the United States, what has always proven to be something we strive for is to look at problems and create ways for humanity to move forward. And to me, that is an absolute essential part of being part of What's important then is how we frame discussions. Would I agree that in some of these cities that there's one hospital bed for 29 people needing a hospital bed, where does funding need to go to immediately? Right. There's no question when sure. somebody's life is at risk and people are suffering. People can't, some people can't put food on the table. Exactly, I know. And that truly is, yes, that is essential that people need to feel 
safe. They need to be fed. Uh, I, I totally get that. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why it's not a one or, or all because right. once they do have, and the majority of the people are safe right now. And a number of people do have enough to eat, but they're isolated. Right. And so now you look into the mm -hmm. mental and emotional health, which is absolutely critical right now. And you look at a whole generation that their schooling may be virtual and they can't have proms and they, everything that we grew up with that we took for granted yeah. is non-existent. Right. So that's where I start to say, well, I, I have to say what we call arts or creativity or uplifting the human spirit is essential to mental health. And we have to be looking at this. And, and it's, it's also how I feel about one of the challenges you see with news today is they're, they're fighting for eyeballs right. in the same way that entertainment is fighting for eyeballs. Right as the same way as Facebook fighting, the same way everybody's looking for this. The soundbite way of doing things, it can be a danger. And what I feel the conversation needs to be is looking at it with current states and understanding what's important for safety, health, but that the quote arts they are part of that discussion and must right. be part of that discussion. Right. Great. Fantastic answer. Um, and of course I agree with you. And uh, I feel like we're going to have to do a part two because um, you have, <laughs> you, we, I, I feel that we have barely scratched into the surface of the skin of Tim Kashani. You want to add any last thought before we sign off? There's, we are in definitely unprecedented times. You and I have lived through some life-changing events, 9-11 we talked about, but even just financial crisis of 2008.com. Uh, I, since I've been alive, war has not been where I would be a draftable age type person, but we have had conflicts. We have had other things. And we're going through two massive, incredibly historic importance when you look back events simultaneously right now between figuring out what's going on with this virus and what's the next potential virus with, without even being political, we know that the, there, there are changes going on in the climate. And part of when you point back to this pandemic is in some way reflected to what's going on with a mass population is really all it is. A lot of people <clears throat> across the globe and we move fast. And so when you look at that, you look at the conversations that are happening globally when it comes to equality and it comes to creating this world that feels positive. Because for me, traveling opened up my life and you combine traveling and art and you just realize that 99% of us are 0.9%. We really just want the same thing. Mm -hmm. We want our families, our friends. We want to have enough to eat, enough 
to do what we're passionate about. And if that became the norm of education, it's like finding structures to hit the minimum so that people can follow what they were put on this planet for, imagine what that would change globally. And just arts, stories give us an insight into what we might call the other. And it, it opens our world to realize how cool it is when we function as a, as a unit together. Mm. And that's my hope is that out of what everything that's happening right now, it feels tough and dark right now, but out of the ashes, the Phoenix will rise. To, yes. To create a world for our, our, my son and his children that is better than the world that uh, I will leave. Well, um, I can't thank you enough for all that you have done for me and for the, this organization uh, and ultimately the impact you're having on so many people in the world because of the work that you do. So um, I just thank you and thank you for your generosity of your time, a busy, busy, busy man, to have this lengthy conversation. Fascinating and um, thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. You. Thank you, Robert, for everything you do. and and keeping the positivity and, and taking a community and giving it the joy that you give it. Well, it is an absolute pleasure and I get to surround myself by people just like you, so. And we all, we have a thank you to Jonathan for introducing us. Absolutely. And, and Krista, yes. Jonathan and Krista. Jonathan Ledden and Krista Ledden. And Krista actually did one of these um, a while ago. So another fascinating story. So I feel very fortunate I get to be around all these fascinating people and all the people I've met in my career. So I'm having a really good time doing these bar talks with these amazing people, so. Oh, wonderful. You're in there. Thank so, you. 